live. We're live. Okay, welcome everybody. I am, have here with me uh, Caleb of Atlanta. Uh, welcome, Caleb. Uh, thank you for, for having me. Yeah. Um, and so this is, I, I had made a scheduling error in my, uh, you know, I should thought I should have this down by now because um, I've been doing this for over a year and I'm always have to figure out time zones. And I thought that we were going to go like in four, three hours from, he lives on the East coast. I live on the West coast and I, and I got it backwards. So we're just doing this kind of on the fly here. Um, so, but that's okay. Um, so, uh, first of all, uh, let's see. Uh, well, I guess the, the usual question that we ask folks is, could you give us, uh, an introduction of yourself? Who are you? Well, I am simply put an Orthodox Christian. I live in Georgia, uh, specifically Atlanta, and I converted to Orthodoxy a few years ago after researching the history of Christianity. I came out of atheism, and now my primary goal is really just to work on my salvation. Um, you know, I, I have a job as a security guard. I uh, Hopefully, I want to go to seminary if God wills it. And yeah. Okay, so security guard is actually. Um, I know that uh, Brother Augustine used to work as a security guard, and he said that that job was the perfect job for him for that for that period in his life because he had a lot of time to. He could, for for example, maybe if he wanted to go onto Twitter, he had some you know some time when he's just sitting in the office, you know, not doing too much or read a book, you know, do you have, do you find in your work as a security guard that you have time to read or maybe scroll Twitter or something like that? Oh, absolutely. I have two security guard jobs. One is seasonal and one is full time. And in both of them, there wasn't much of anything to do. There was a little bit of interacting with people coming in, but really you just sat there. So I spent a lot of time scheduling you know to post prayers on twitter or translating uh patristic works into english they're not great translations but they're they're a bare minimum uh, working on composing prayers myself commissioning icons anything i could do it all during that time and it was probably my most free time out of the day that yeah that's awesome um you are translating uh, patristic works. What out of out of what language? Uh, Russian. So the act. What I'm translating right now is the, the Dodecabiblis, otherwise known as the History of the Patriarchs of Jerusalem, written by Blessed Dositheus of Jerusalem, and it was originally written in Greek, but the source where I'm getting this from is in Russian, and it's way easier to get it from Russian because Google Translate kind of works a little bit better. And Google Translate's not perfect. It's not great at all. Um, I don't think you can really gain too much from Google Translate, but because I kind of know a little bit about Orthodox theology and the context they're adding, I can go in and spot check it and correct it so that it can be a little bit more readable. Okay, so you just do a little bit of editing. Okay, that's cool. Um, uh, well, so you, and you also said you want to go to seminary. Um, Yes. 
what is your how what are you like what is your plan what how when when is that would that take place which seminary would you go to well it's all in god's hands of course but if everything were to work out the way that i wanted it to work out um in a few years when i uh probably in two years when i graduate college um i probably spend about a year still working in order to save up money in order to go to seminary and i'd prefer to go to jordanville or saint tecons and the primary reason is because those are attached to monasteries um and i've also heard that they're a little cheaper um but i i think i prefer jordanville but of course if i talk with the bishop and he says he wants me to go to saint tecons or he wants me to go to saint vlad's or wherever and then i'll oh, go wherever he wants me to go all right. Uh, which which jurisdiction uh, do you belong to? Uh, I was baptized in the OCA, but right now, because I've moved a little bit away, the closest church to me is a Serbian Orthodox church, so that's where I'm mm -hmm. going. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I I like the idea of going to a a monastery or a seminary attached to a monastery because that will definitely help uh, you to get get a good spiritual formation. Um, I have, I visited Jordanville and, um, you know, they, even those, those guys there, they even, they're, you know, they're getting up early and going to liturgy every morning. And uh, Absolutely. yeah, they have also, they also have a chance to, uh, they give you uh, obediences and you can help pay off your tuition. If you decide you want to do some work while you're there. But it seems like a really grueling, a really grueling schedule from what I hear. Yes, I've heard a lot of the same um, from priests who have already graduated seminary. They basically say, you know, if you're in a seminary, you're going through the torture chamber. Like it'll stress out your relationships. It'll stress out mm -hmm. the kind of person that you are. And that's kind of the goal, I presume. They want to test your mettle under the harshest mm -hmm. circumstances so that you're capable of dispensing the Orthodox faith in a pure manner when you're back out in the world. And you're sure. not just the and same random layman that, that you were when you came in. Yeah, yeah. And a priest is going to have, you know, going through that, it's like basic training, basically, you know? And like a priest is going to have a lot of uh, temptations, you know, mm -hmm. um, a lot of strain struggle stress for a pre and i said i think you said the goal was to become a priest eventually yes that is my hope that's my desire okay well, well god bless your good intentions there um okay so let's that's an in good introduction how about we get into uh you uh you expressed a desire to share your uh your testimony regarding your conversion to orthodoxy so absolutely so how did that how did that come about so really the story begins at the beginning of my life i grew up um, as a sort of nominal christian you know my parents sometimes took me to church sometimes they didn't and i believed in jesus but i really didn't know anything about it i never read the bible um and whenever i did go to church i saw it more as a burden i didn't really know why i was doing it um then for a while probably in around middle school i was kind of living in a double thought where I could live in sin, but as long as I prayed about it, I would be all right. And obviously we know that's wrong, but that 
wasn't my mindset at the time. And so I was further falling into my own personal sins. And it really all culminated in about the ninth grade. Uh, a lot of bad things happened in my life, a lot of cruel things happening to me committed by other people. And I was blaming God for it the whole time. I was saying, why, why are you letting this happen, happen to me? He, I mean, he must not be real because he wouldn't let this happen. And so I became an atheist. I became probably one of the worst types of atheists, the new atheist, the Reddit atheist, so to speak. Um, and I was looking for any avenue to disprove God. I wanted to prove God didn't exist. Christianity was false. I was trying to search the Bible for contradictions. And at every turn, I was being met with resistance that I couldn't um, that I couldn't breach. Everyone, every time I had a question, it was being answered. And I was still angry at God, but I was slowly realizing that I had nothing I could say about him or about Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, and the more that I tried to research in order to prove that Christianity was wrong, the more I came to the conclusion that Christianity was true. And the turning point for me was thinking about why the apostles went out to evangelize the world and die for their faith unless they believed that they had actually saw something. And if they wrote their own testimonies, that being the gospels, then they must have saw the resurrection from the dead. They must have saw the transfiguration, the wedding at Cana and other such miracles. Mm -hmm. And if there's one man capable of doing all these miracles and everyone testifies that he was a righteous man and he never committed any sin, then that's the whole basis of Christianity, Jesus Christ. Christianity must be true. That was the sort of conclusion I came to. And it was like a light flipped in my head. Okay, well, if Christianity is true, that means I have to follow it or else I'm going to go to hell. So from thenceforth, I became a Christian. And at the time, I was at a private Christian school. So the perfect environment, really. Um, but it was more Southern Baptist oriented. I had decided I was really going to lean into this. And then I wanted to go further because if I could research to find out that Christianity was true, then chances are I could probably research to find out which interpretation of the Bible was true or which denomination were true. Okay. And it was actually at the school that I had learned about the Protestant Reformation coming about in the 1500s. And after that, I had to think about, well, which religion is closest to the apostles? And so it was pretty easy for me to discount Protestantism because it came about in the 1500s. And I was kind of let uh, down two roads. One was I was either going to be Roman Catholic or I was either going to be Orthodox Christian. Mm. And if you don't have a basis of what truth is, it's really difficult to find out which religion is true. So I wanted to find the one that was obviously false because that meant that the other one was probably more likely to be true. And so I started researching Roman Catholicism to see if it had any contradictions, if it had changed its doctrines, if its beliefs weren't the same as the early church. And the more I looked in, the more I came to oppose the papacy, papal infallibility, papal supremacy, filioque, and other such new doctrines, immaculate conception. And I still had some hesitation with orthodoxy because I wasn't sure about divorce or 
I wasn't sure about, um, you know, contraception. And but I had knew that I wasn't going to become Roman Catholic. So I decided I was going to visit an Orthodox church for the first time. I went to the liturgy. I fell in love with it. And then I met with the priest afterwards in his office. I asked him a few questions and that pretty much sealed the deal for me. And I became a catechumen a few weeks later. And then next year, 2020, that was when I got baptized. Wow, glory to God. So it only took a few weeks to become a catechumen. That's a fast track. Yeah, I uh, I pretty much knew in my heart that this is what was going to happen. And I actually asked on the second week that I got there when I could become a catechumen. And he said, just wait a minute. Sure. <laughs> so, it was, yeah, well, you know, people kind of wonder how that works. And there's no set way, you know, I, I tell people. You can either wait till the priest talks to you about becoming a catechumen or you can ask the priest, you know, just let him know that you're interested. And, and, and that actually might be the better the better option uh, if you don't know, because just express your interest to the priest so he knows what you're thinking, because the priest might be trying to judge where you are on the path as you want to become orthodox, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I was the one who asked him about you know, becoming a catechumen, it, it happened on Palm Sunday. I was the one who asked him about getting baptized. Um, and it was about, it was getting about to that time anyways. But, you know, I was really, I felt really zealous for wanting to embrace the faith. And mm-hmm. so it got granted my desires at that time. So you said you were, you became a catechumen on Palm Sunday? Is that what? Yes, a catechumen on Palm Sunday of 2019 and then in july of 2020 was when i got baptized all right now uh this interview is going to it's like the title is the x files part one because you are a prominent person on x the and so i hope to make this a series and we'll be interviewing other people hopefully so you have quite a few followers on x and i have a couple questions about this like when when did you start getting into tweeting and how did that come about so it was actually i think i got on twitter in about 2018 and this was no no it was way before that it was in 2015 this was right around the time of the 2016 election when donald trump was getting into politics i was getting into politics at the same time because at my school one of my best friends was really into this conservative Mm. and i was trying to I was really into politics at that time. I, I fell off of that because I began to focus more on religion. And I was in all sorts of spaces uh, because Twitter is such a wide, wide range mm-hmm. of you know views. I had got banned a few times. And then it wasn't until about 2018, I believe, that I started getting into orthodox twitter or ortho twitter i had met a few people who were one of them was really hesitant of me because he thought i was a uniate um but in general they were kind of welcoming they were answering questions that i had and i enjoyed the environment that i was in Hmm. and when i got baptized in 2020 that was kind of when i leaned into twitter more i started posting uh, links to the prayers of the hours at the appropriate time. I was scheduling these ahead of time. Um, 
and my current account, which I started this year, 2023, I've just been doing the same thing. I post the prayers of the hours. I tweet about current events and I post links to my articles on Medium. Uh, I kind of tapered off in terms of like I wasn't this crazy convert, as it were. Um, You know, I calmed down, but Twitter for me is a place where hopefully I can introduce people to the Orthodox faith, or hopefully I can inspire a little bit of piety here or there. It's all about how much I can help others now and not just about uh, making jokes or insulting people, you know, because that's (laughs) that's how a lot of people treat it and how I used to treat it. Oh, okay. Uh, so you've calmed down. You say you, you, you appear, your manner seems to be, a, you seem to be a calm personality. Your, your person, you seem, you seem like a calm person to me, naturally, maybe. I, I, I like to hope that I'm a calm person. I, uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe I've, I've changed. I've, I've calmed down. Maybe, maybe orthodoxy has just changed me as a person. That's, um, that's entirely possible. I've heard people told me comments similar to that after I'd been in the church a few years. Um, how many accounts have you been through? How many times have you been banned? Oh man, I don't know how many emails I've got attached to Twitter accounts. It is probably reaching up to seven now. Um, <laughs> and before, you know, I had a, like, back when I was doing politics, I had a lot of good reasons to be banned because I was saying terrible things. Um, but my recent bans after becoming Orthodox were just terrible, terrible reasons. I think one of the reasons I got banned was because I was tweeting about monkeypox. And that was the reason. That was the whole reason. And another time I said, uh, I, I can't recall, but the, the reasons for getting banned now are just getting so stringent. But hmm. I, I guess, thankfully, because I've calmed down, there's no cause for me to say any of those things in the first place. Is it getting better with Elon Musk at the helm? Uh, You know, I think so, because before, if you had said something wrong, you would just get banned. And now if you say something wrong, the tweet will be kind of faded out. You can't like it. You can't retweet it. And it'll, it'll be like this tweet violates X rules. And so you're able to stay on Twitter or X without uh, having like one mistake bring you down, one fit of passion. Because if you get start a new account, you probably have to, you know, work hard to get all your subscribers right back up. Right. I mean, it's probably. Yeah, it was it's a very tough thing. Two accounts ago, I had 11,000 followers. And then, you know, two accounts later, I when I restarted my account, I was able to get about 4,000 back pretty quickly, but I'm still trying to build them up. I'm not, and even then, I'm not trying to build them up. I'm not chasing followers. People follow right. me if they want to follow me. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not in the same place that I was. Right. What is the tweet? What's the most views you've ever gotten on a tweet? Oh, most views. Uh, I would say the tweet that has the most views isn't even on my account. It was on two accounts ago. And that was the atheist arguments tweets. Um, I don't know if you're aware of it, 
but well i'm kind of new to i'm new to twitter i haven't i didn't uh maybe a year or two ago i started and you know i haven't even spent a lot of time there so i'm just curious like how many do you, yeah tell me about this so i had and this tweet wasn't even mine. I stole it from a guy named Jeb, but he got banned like every month. So it was easy for me to steal the tweet. And the tweet went like this. You can look it up on Google. Atheist arguments. God is me. Christians are mean. If God real, why bad things happen? I'm monkey. Shellfish polyester. Too many religion. Why can't I look outside and see God? If God real, why do I like to take it up the butt? And out of context, Bible verse. And this tweet blew up. I think it had like 7,000 likes when I originally tweeted it. And people keep reposting it on Twitter, on Reddit, on iFunny. It's it's one of my most timeless tweets or someone else's timeless tweet. So 7,000 likes. How many views did it get up to? Do you know? I don't know. I don't think they were. They were probably recording views back then, but oh, okay. they didn't have it on the little analytics. You couldn't you couldn't click the button and see it. Do you think um, it got a million? Do you think it, I think someone sent sent me a or put a, a, a reply to my tweet about this stream and said that uh, you you went platinum or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, I maybe a million people have seen it. I would say maybe a few hundred thousand have seen it because it just gets onto every social media platform. Okay. Um, All right. Um, so do you have a, like a process or a, um, when you go about doing this, like sometimes you, you do kind of an in-depth thread with that looks like you might've taken you some research time to, to do. Yeah. Well, the thing about being Orthodox is that you're always learning. So it's always you're always in that process. You're always researching, um, but I rarely devoted specific time towards trying to research something, unless I was preparing to make a thread, something that had got controversial, or there was a great big misunderstanding of orthodoxy. And my original threads were against, you know, like Protestants or Roman Catholics because they had misconceptions about our church. Um, I don't, I don't, haven't posted too many threads as of recent. Uh, all my old threads are still archived. Um, but for, hmm, let me think. So one of, one of the biggest threats I did was a thread on the Council of Florence because many Roman Catholics would say, uh, how can you Orthodox determine what an ecumenical council is? Uh, you all accepted Florence, so you must have changed your belief. You all accepted the Pope. And this is all completely wrong. So I made that threat in order to uh, dispel all of those rumors. Um, and it also taught a lot of Orthodox Christians about this because not everyone's going to read the books about it. People are learning about Orthodoxy and they're not getting like dedicated uh, looks into these specific questions. Sure. We don't get classes on how to respond to polemics against our church. It's just something that you kind of receive um, by osmosis, really. So if you didn't put in the research, then you, you'd have to research it. So I make those threats in order so for people to know, know the same things that I know without having to do in-depth research. So I've made a thread on toll houses. I've made a thread on uh, the Council of Florence. 
Um, I made a thread on the calculation of Christmas, and this was mostly against atheists uh, mm-hmm. or those sects of Protestants that don't celebrate Christmas. Uh, Easter, saying that it's not pagan and other such things. Okay. And uh, one of your topics that you seem to come back to time and time again is you have uh, you you are a supporter of a unified patriarchate, a church in America, bringing all the uh, different jurisdictions together in a single um, a single jurisdictional body. Yes, absolutely. I'm a huge supporter of that. And frankly, I think everyone ought to be a supporter of this because it's the Orthodox tradition. There is no time in history where multiple patriarchates thought it was acceptable for multiple patriarchates to be in one land. There was a dispute even in the early church, even in the first millennium church between Rome and Constantinople over who had jurisdiction over Bulgaria. And it was so bad that it became a schism because you can't have two jurisdictions on the same territory. And all of our canons say the same things. You can't go to another bishop's diocese and ordain people or establish churches because this was all seen as a schismatic act. You were committing a schism if you went to another uh, bishop's diocese and set up a church. Hmm. Uh, And you were going to be deposed if you did that. And it wasn't until really, I think, the 20th century uh, or, or maybe the late 19th century where this sort of started to be acceptable to establish multiple jurisdictions in one land and the patriarchates weren't communicating with each other and dividing territory according to who can best evangelize it. It was just sort of happening by accident. In America is no different. It started off with the Russian mission to North America, Alaska, the Aleutian Islands, and they had established dioceses and they were sending bishops over here and no other jurisdiction was sending bishops over here. And then it kind of all started to fall apart a little bit in the late 1800s and more jurisdictions were establishing parishes over here without a connection to the Russian bishops. And then once they started sending bishops over here, especially after the fall after the establishment of the Soviet Union right. and the chaos that caused in the church worldwide, it seemed as though that many patriarchates simply did not care that there were multiple jurisdictions. And it gets more complicated all over the world, but specifically in America, we have North America, we have about 70 bishops. This is perfectly fitting to establish one church. We have plenty of saints in our land, recent saints, not just, you know, ancient first millennium saints, because we don't really have any first millennium saints, but plenty of recent saints in our time. Uh, Local canonizations, wonder working icons, uh, miracle working elders and great monasteries. We are a spiritually mature part of the world, part of the Orthodox world, and we ought to have in autocephalous church. Our church, sorry, North America has more Orthodox Christians than some actual autocephalous churches, such as Poland or Albania or the Czech lands in Slovakia. And we have more bishops than them as well. So it doesn't make any sense why our bishops continue to allow that we remain divided 
unless they're serving their own interests. Uh, I don't want to make any accusations, but this is something that many of them echo. Many clergy already echo that they just want to keep receiving the money, the tithes from right. the rich part of the world, America. And so they're not compelled to pursue the end of jurisdictionalism. Interesting. So I have so many questions about this now that I want to that I want to address. I'm not sure where to start, but um, this is kind of a divisive issue. I know, you know, there might be some disagreement about what we're talking about here. I want to actually come out and say that I I'm I think I'm falling to your side of the I think this would be a good thing. There are. However, I am fully aware that there are people who oppose this and there's a number of arguments that people will put out there. Um, I know, for example, in, I'm in Rokor, I'm in the Russian church abroad and the attitude in Rokor is actually, we don't want, we don't want to join with you guys, with, with other churches. And it might be because um, we, you know, Orthodoxy is conservative, period. But uh, Rokor is more conservative. It's, it's sort of a conservative branch. And we may, maybe the reason is we don't want to really have anything to do with liberal liberal jurisdictions. That, that might be one of the reasons. Yes, I'm, I'm aware of this sort of uh, argument. And the main thing is, once you push it enough, if you talk to them about it, they will um, they will agree and say conceptually, yes, every land should have only one jurisdiction. And what they're actually complaining about is current circumstances. Um, they they don't like Archbishop Elizabethoros, or they don't like such and such bishop of such and such church, or they don't like such and such calendar. And so this is why they don't want to unite. Right, right. And this is kind of missing the point, I feel. That's personally, I feel that's missing the point because I'll pretty much accept whatever y'all want to accept as long as we become one church in the in North America. So if you all agree that we should have one church in North America, then that means we all need to get to the table and hash out our differences rather than remaining divided, remaining in the status quo and just waiting for things to, you know, mystically change because nothing happens by accident. Right. Right. Um, you, we don't, yeah, you're, you're saying we don't just wait around. We have to take action. Father Josiah Trenum has, I will, will recommend a video. He has a talk that that's on YouTube about this subject. And he says, yeah, Oh, eventually, eventually it'll just happen naturally. But we have to, we kind of, he says, we have to take action. We have to do something about it. And here's a question from the audience. Um, you said North America, uh, a, a patriarchate in North America. How would we be split, says Jake? Canadian Orthodox, American Orthodox, Mexican, Mexican Orthodox, or is it all just one? What so, I mean, it could happen in a lot of ways. I've seen bishops say Canada should have an autocephalous church. Personally, I think America and Canada uh, have the same kind of culture, language, and we, there's already cooperation between dioceses that cover both areas. I think that Canada and America would be one church. 
And then eventually later on, however that manages to manifest itself, Mexico mm. would have its own church. Um, okay. But it's, it's all in God's hands. It's something that, you know, the bishops should come together and probably figure out. If it were up to me, I would say a patriarch of North America, which has a metropolis in Canada and a diocese in Mexico. And then we develop Mexico intending for it to later on become an autocephalous church. Interesting. Um, so what, how do we go about doing, like, how does this happen? It happens in a, uh, the main thing is that it takes repentance because we all need to repent of our sins. We all need to uh, become holy people so that bl God's blessings will come upon our nation, our uh, continent, our people. And it also takes activism with the bishops because none of us are bishops. None of us are even priests and priests don't even have the power to change this. It's all on the bishops. If we can reach out to the bishops and convince them to sit down at the table to work on a plan for becoming united, then that would be a great thing. I know that plenty of people have suggested things to the Assembly of Bishops for jurisdictional unity. Some of them they've accepted, but they just haven't implemented yet. And other things they've just rejected because they want to serve their own, you know, I'm, again, not trying to make accusations, but they, right. they rejected them for their own reasons. So I think it's trying to inspire the bishops that the most important thing is that we cooperate for our missionary purpose, which is the salvation of all Americans and Canadians and Mexicans mm -hmm. is the foremost thing. And being divided is an impediment to our missionary work, an impediment to the salvation of North America. Right. And if they care about the salvation of our people, eventually they'll come and sit down at that table. Right. So I'll just reiterate what you said earlier. Um, having multiple jurisdictions in the same land is, you know, over overlapping jurisdictions is an anomaly historically. And it's something that eventually must be uh, fixed. It must be right. Uh, normalized um what about if we have say the city of san francisco has five bishops and they we normally, we normally are supposed bishops. to have one bishop in, per city right so what yeah. would those how would they go about with with that situation those bishops need some of those bishops need to just give up those bishops need give to up. move out they, they wow. need to say it's wrong to have five bishops in new york it's wrong to have three bishops in francisco it's wrong to have uh uh, two bishops in Detroit, because th this is all, this is what the current situation is. We cannot have two bishops in one city, two bishops claiming to have one city, because it's like a wife with two husbands, pretty much. A mm. bishop is married to his see, his Episcopal see. So having multiple bishops there is a complete disservice, and it's a sin. It's a sin. They're not, do they're missing the mark. They're not doing what is required of us by our holy fathers they need to just give up some of them need to give up they need to work it out between each other who gets what and that's what need to happen um so what was well, what was i gonna say um here's a here's a comment 
Problem is the Greeks and OCA have contributed to, to division and disunity at every step. And I'm not. Well, sure, we can assign blame to this bishop or to that bishop or to that jurisdiction all day long, but it doesn't actually benefit us because at the end of the day, we know that the goal is to have one patriarchate in America. If we're not working towards that, then we're working towards nothing at all. So we can't just say, oh, well, we'd be united if only if it weren't for those dastardly Greeks. What are you going, what are we doing about it? Like, I can say that it's all the jurisdictions' fault. But, you know, right. we can't just sit around and say Greeks OCA, Greeks OCA, Russians, you know, it's, it's right. Yeah. Blaming and stuff. Um, now, a, you said the other bishops are going to have to step down. Well, we know that a bishop is a bishop. Once he's been consecrated, you can't unbecome a bishop. Yes, yes, um, yes. yes. Here's a, an idea from Black Ortho Acolyte. He says, plenty of cities with no bishops, whole areas of the country that have almost no access to a parish. So maybe the bishops could just go to another city, a small Yes, place. yes, yes. That's what I meant. I, I didn't mean that they would, like, retire. Right, um, right. Some bishops probably should retire, but uh, I was saying they need to give up their see and move to another part of the country. The dioceses... A lot of the dioceses are gigantic. They're covering large swaths of area, um, hundreds and hundreds of miles, when there's plenty of areas of our nation that have almost no Orthodox Christians or Orthodox churches, and we could have some bishops out there uh, focusing on the uncontacted portions of our nation. We have a saint, he's not canonized yet, um, his, he, he's called the apostle to the apostle to the plains because he went out to the uh, great plains where they were so far separated from each other and no bishops are focusing on these areas. Uh, his father Nicola Yanni and he was part of the Antiochians. And then even Saint Raphael of Brooklyn, uh, he's called an apostle to the scattered flock of North America because he went to the cities where no one knew if there were any Orthodox Christians here. And he gathered each and every one of them individually in order to make sure they were still in keeping with the faith. So when we have portions like North Dakota, recently the OCA said they wanted to do more, put more focus on uh, the Dakotas. Hmm. We could have a bishop out there in the Dakotas. We could have a bishop out there uh, in Idaho. All these portions, 70 bishops, and we have uh 50 states and 14 territories in canada this is there's clearly cause to have a bishop in each state or something similar to that all right uh which calendar would we i mean how do you know there's two calendars people are using how do we address that issue uh well that's that's for the bishops i mean if i again if it were my decision if they had just put it all on one bishop and that bishop decided who the count who was going to, which calendar we were going to use, then it would solve a lot of problems. If it were up to me, I'd say, I think we should all be on the old calendar, but I, I know that there's objections to that. And I think probably a mixed calendar system would be what occurs. Wow. And currently in the OCA, we do have a mixed calendar system. Hmm. The Diocese of Alaska is all old calendar. 
And there are plenty of parishes I know in the Diocese of the South that use the old calendar. Um, and I don't know too much about the other jurisdictions, except that, you know, Rokor and the Serbs and the Georgians use the old calendar. And then the Romanians, Bulgarians, Greeks, Antiochians all use the new calendar. So probably a mixed calendar would be what occurs there. Each diocese decides. Yeah. I mean, I would, if I, if I was the patriarch, if I was elected to suddenly patriarch, I would say, sorry, we're just going onto the old calendar. It'll solve <laughs> a lot of problems. Yeah, it would solve a lot of problems. It would it, get some blowback. It creates you, 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 you would probably make some enemies along the way if, if a patriarch did that, but we need a strong yeah. leader who can do that kind of thing. Yes, strong um, leaders is definitely what's needed these days. Um, I think that's one of the biggest criticisms. Um, probably one of the biggest things that people have resentment over is that we just don't have strong leaders. We don't have very many bishops willing to lay down the law um, when the going gets tough. Um, what about the Orthodox Church in America? Isn't that the the, the American Orthodox jurisdiction? Yes, uh, the OCA, it, its goal was to be the missionary church of North America. And I would say they are definitely working to fulfill that. I mean, obviously, they've made some mistakes here and there, um, but their ethos, the concept, that's exactly what I feel like all the Orthodox jurisdictions should be embracing. The Antiochians, you know, they were doing a lot of good with that as well, especially when they received the evangelical Orthodox group. Um, this bishops focusing specifically on saving Americans rather than just being pastors for the old world or flock, this is what we need, missionaries. So I think the OCA is ha, has a great idea in mind. We just need to implement it universally. Okay. Now, there's also another argument against this, which is that it sort of sounds like a conspiracy theory, but people say that having all of these multiple jurisdictions makes us immune to compromise. Uh, they, you know, if there's only one patriarch, then they just need to corrupt that one patriarch and they, then they, they can corrupt the whole church. But if there's five, six, seven, ten different jurisdictions, they're going to have their work cut out for them trying to corrupt 10 patriarchs in on all their bishops. Looks like you're shaking your head. <laughs> because it's a silly argument. It's a very terrible idea because the thing is a patriarch is not a pope. He doesn't have, you know, unilateral jurisdiction over all the bishops. He can't snap his fingers and then a bishop stops existing uh, like Thanos or something. If a patriarch falls, if a patriarch is a heretic or if a patriarch commits a sin, then the purpose of the holy sin is that he keeps the patriarch in check. They would depose a patriarch, uh, force him to repent, or or cast him out, because you can't just have one patriarch running the show. Mm. So actually, us being divided makes us easier to corrupt, because it's divide and conquer. The CIA is having a field day with us, because uh, the conservative jurisdictions, who are small, they're just seen as fringe sex zealots 
rather than being, you know, part of the core, part of the integral defense of orthodoxy in our nation. If there is a conservative bishop and there is a liberal bishop, then both of them have to cooperate. Both of them have to keep account of each other. Both of them are have to be accommodated in order to make sure that the whole of the Orthodox Church is working towards this mission, the salvation of all people. So I, I wouldn't say, I would say this idea is completely wrong, fabricated, that we just, we will fall if we have one patriarchate. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I might disagree uh, with that, with you on this point, because if I look back at what happened in the Soviet Union, they basically just started they basically just started killing off the patriarchs, whichever one came next, until they found one who that they could work with. And then yes, that yes. Uh, and the thing about that is they didn't just start killing off patriarchs; they started killing off all of the bishops and all of the clergy. No church has been destroyed more than the Moscow Patriarchate at that time. So if that's what it takes to affect the to affect the church, then us being divided, it's not going to provide any impediment to uh, a mm -hmm. government wanting to destroy orthodoxy here. They, they can, they can, us being united or us being divided is not going to be conducive towards that goal, if that's their goal. But that's not, I wouldn't say that's not their goal, but they don't have the means of doing that because they can't just kill us because of freedom of religion. So us being one patriarchate allows us to better stand against the current system that we have. Interesting. And even with that argument, the Soviet Union wasn't even a, uh, sorry, the R Moscow Patriarchate, it wasn't a patriarchate for 2,000 years. Sorry, sorry. Did I say 2,000 years? 200 years. They didn't have a patriarch. They just had the Oberprocurator and the Holy Senate and a Metropolitan. And it was St. Kikon. He was right. the one elected as the restored patriarch. And if they decided that you know, at the outset of everything going on, we need to have a patriarch, then we should be able to do the same thing. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's a, actually, you answered my argument pretty well there. Maybe we can address some comments. Um, if we're going to ignore Patrick, reality and the Sean fact Patrick, that... Yeah, you want to read it? Sorry. If we're going to ignore reality and the fact that GoArch has made statements that they don't even want to convert people from other faiths, then who are we to be saying some bishops need to retire? Uh, I mean, yeah, if, if any bishop says that we shouldn't convert people from other faiths, then he should absolutely retire. If, if anything, he should be deposed. Um, this, this is something that having a united jurisdiction can do because the thing with Goarch or Rokor or uh, the Serbian diocese is that they have to answer to a foreign patriarch. So they have to send their request, they have to send their lamentations out to the patriarch overseas. And he has to take into consideration a nation that he, he, he really doesn't know much of anything about. And he has to hear all sides. But when we're all here in America, seeing all of our own bishops do this and that. Everyone knows the full story straight out the gate. So they can be quicker to depose or, or force a retirement 
a, a bishop who doesn't care about our people. So if that's, we don't have to ignore reality with that at all. Those bishops absolutely should retire or absolutely should uh, be deposed. And if I ever heard a bishop say that we shouldn't convert Protestants or we shouldn't convert Roman Catholics or we shouldn't convert Uniates or, or, or Oriental Orthodox, then I would tell him straight up, you need to repent your, your grace or your eminence because this is a wrong belief. I think I heard, I think I might've seen something like that. Someone said a comment like that in the last year sometime. I don't remember who it was. I think I know what he's referring to. I think he's trying to talk about Archbishop El Pedoforo saying that all paths lead to God. Oh, right, and right. I don't even know if he intended to mean we shouldn't convert those people. But, I mean, obviously that was a wrong thing that he said. And I hope he repents of that idea. Right. Th that bishop you mentioned seems to not just toe up to the line, but he pulls up a chair, like, you know, to, to the line. And he's just sitting right at the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and in fact, people like Archbishop El Podoforos are the reason why lots of people are hesitant for a for a united church in America. But for me, I, I would say that our purpose, or, you know, being bishops, being, sorry, I'm not a bishop, but being Orthodox Christians, having a united missionary effort, I would rather that we all be united and, and Archbishop El Podoforos be Patriarch of America than we remain divided and have varying degrees of holiness in each of the jurisdictions. A united senate is the first step. If the bishops on the continent were willing to talk and unite their senates, it would be beneficial. It, would, it absolutely would. United senate is indeed the first step. Okay. Um, lots of jurisdictions have tried to take their own first steps. You know, be missionaries, great. You know, OCA, do English liturgies. This is all fantastic but we're still divided and people are still perceiving the Orthodox faith as this foreign thing, as this thing for Greeks or this thing for Russians, or I wonder what an Antiochian is, you know? So we do need to unite and just be an American Orthodox church. And the same person with another comment. My concern is that upending the local expressions of faith, if OCA and Antioch are, the OCA and Antioch are both guilty of this, yeah, I, I know a little bit about that. I I know with the OCA, they kind of suppressed the Carpatho-Rus uh, styles of chant and expressions and liturgics when they were converting uniates over. And, and this was not great. This was bad. Um, I don't know exactly about the Antiochian, so I can't speak on them. But yes, uh, I would say that you know, we have a wide diversity of expressions in America. And the thankful thing about it is that we have so many uh, jurisdictions that if we were to unite, we can't just impose, you know, one style of chant. We can't just all be Byzantine or all be Russian or we can't all, you know, be Serbian. We would have to take into account that these parishes already exist and they're probably going to keep existing for hundreds and hundreds of years it you know if God wills so I think that's less of a concern now and especially I know with the OCA is that they're allowing Byzantine liturgics 
uh, a little bit more. And I know that the Antioch has both Byzantine and Russian liturgics and expressions in there. So sure. I think that's less of a concern. So they could just maybe just keep doing what they're doing. You don't necessarily have to jam something down their throat. Exactly. Thank you, Orthodox Review. Yeah, you know him. He says, this guy is based. The, the goal is to be repentant. So if if I if I repent and therefore I'm based, then I, I hope I continue to be based. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we should all be repenting. So, and we can all also pray by the way. I mean, if we want this to happen, prayer is, you know, re really a powerful tool. So maybe I should be praying more often for this, but uh, maybe I should add a, a nightly prayer. If this was, if I was really felt strongly about this issue, maybe that's what I should be doing. Yes, absolutely. I pray for my nation every day. Um, I pray for, and, and I, I pray for the conversion of our people. And I, I guess I haven't specifically prayed for a United Senate, but, you know, it's I feel like converting our nation is having a United Senate is conducive to that. Uh, are there any other. Uh, if there's a comment I can highlight, if there's one you want me to address. Um, well, I've got the comments on right here. A good step would be to ask the Athenite monasteries what they would accept and foresee as the way forward. Um, that's an interesting idea. You know, it's the Athenite monasteries here on, are, are you talking about on Mount Athos or are you talking about the monasteries of Elder Ephraim? I think he's America? talking about on Mount Athos. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. I think a lot of the things, pretty much everything that Mount everything that goes on on Mount Athos is right and proper. Um, mm. Of course, we can't convert America into a giant monastery uh, as much as many people would like that. Um, monasteries of Elder Ephraim in North America. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they have some good ideas. I've, I've been to St. Anthony's in Arizona. I love you know their ethos that their pursuit of you know hesychasm trying to preserve our the monastic nature of our church um of course we can't just lean it all onto one set of people it takes the bishops and honestly some of the abbots from the monasteries of elder from should probably become bishops hmm. Oh, it looks like he's talking make, about, he was talking about our Athenite For the Greek archdiocese, at least. This is yeah, the, yes, yes, the monasteries of Elder Ephraim. Um, um, there's some talk about, let's see, the nominee chant isn't widely practiced, though it should be. Like, yeah, like the type of style of chanting, like, for instance, in, our, in the Russian church, we use this four part harmony which isn't even actually it's kind of a newer we copied it from like a western european style of music four part harmony that kind of thing it's not even an ancient it's it's like only a couple hundred years old or so something like that i'd like to if we could go back to something more old some older style like zanomini or something like that yeah zanomini it is um it's it's kind of a the russian variation of byzantine chant 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that my parish uses it sometimes. And really the parishes where you want to go for uh, Znamini chant are like the old right uh, church in of the nativity in Erie, because that's the style of chant that they use. Um, I like the Obicod, the four-part harmony. Do you? It's, uh, you know, it, I feel like it's just fitting for the American language. Hmm. Um, it works really well uh, for us. And maybe the other styles of chant, Zomini, I know it can work because they use Zomini at the parish I was baptized at sometimes. Um, but when trying to make sure that people understand what's being chanted, it's not just about language, but also about how they're hearing it. Uh, so if we're just saying things way too quickly or we're stretching out words uh, way too long, such as what happens in sometimes in Byzantine chant, people aren't really understanding what you're saying. And it's just sounds like you're walking into a choir with no words. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so point. it, I think every style of chant, I, I feel like many styles of chant will have a great future in America, as long as people are translating things to English and are fitting them within the way our language works. And, you know, I, I feel like it's just going to be a great future if we lean onto that. Modern Slavic chant is Western European nonsense. I, uh, yeah, I mean, people, oh. you can say that, I suppose, but it, it's, it's one of the chants of our church. It, it's one of the chants of our saints. It's, um, you know, can you receive the faith with it? This is how I perceive it. If you can receive the faith with it, then you're you're in the right spot. So, okay. Okay, so then we had this. I thought this was an interesting comment. Uh, in your opinion, is the internet and other tech serving a net benefit or net detriment to our communities and youth? Any ideas for how to more effectively and collectively combat negative impacts? So that's a very difficult thing. Um, with the internet, is it can be an avenue for great things or it can be an avenue for evil things. Mm. Part of the problem is that because something is inherently neutral, it depends on how you use it. So a lot of people perceive the internet as being a bad thing because people use it in bad ways. But if we don't use the internet, then only the devil will use the internet. So I believe that it's our responsibility to spread forth the faith through the internet. Um, you know, and this is part of the reason why I write my articles. I don't write my articles for the money. I write it so that hopefully people can gain a little bit of piety through there. Um, when it comes to combating the negative effects on it, it really just depends on us as individual communities. You have to be conservative with how you allow your child on the internet. Uh, you have to be a good buddy for your friends, their accountability partners, to make sure that they're not using the internet in evil ways. And if some people do need to abstain from the internet, just like some people who are alcoholics, they don't drink, um, then some people do need to abstain from the internet. So it's really just all individual and circumstantial. I feel like if we could all be a little bit more holy on the internet, then the internet would be a more holy place. Um, but if it's harming certain people, then they should just get off of it completely. 
And maybe we can start to introduce the idea of fasting from the internet. You know, during, a, say, a fast, a great fasting period, you spend, it just would be, a should be a normal practice to just spend less time on the internet or maybe even log off completely. Some people log off, I see people logging off of Twitter all the time, you know. Yes, absolutely. I definitely see people doing that for the nativity fast. They'll announce ahead of time. I'll be off during a nativity fast or I'll be off during Lent or I'll be off during the apostles fast. And it's a great practice, really. It's a great practice for them. And I hope they're using the time off the internet in order to grow in the faith, focus on Jesus Christ. Um, Because fasting from the internet, it might as well be the same as fasting from food. What's the point of doing it if you're still going to be evil outside of the internet? Right. Let's see. Yeah, we um every every person in America, that this is our goal is to save them all. Um I know that becoming Orthodox, I was really interested in the African saints because I didn't really see that we had too many. And I was going to convert to the faith regardless because it was true. But even still, I'd like to see a little bit, you know, people who kind of look like me. And so I started looking into uh, the lives of the saints, the Africans, the Ethiopians in our church. And I started commissioning icons of the ones who didn't have icons commissioned of them. Because if we're supposed to save all people, then shouldn't we allow every portion of our faith to reach every portion of every person? And I know that many African-Americans would probably be more interested in orthodoxy if they didn't perceive it as this sort of white people church. If they could see that we had black saints on our walls, in our icon, in our corners, then they would be inspired to see that they belong to this faith as well. And that was precisely how uh, Father Moses Berry converted to the faith. He saw an icon of uh, St. Moses the Black and he was told that God has uh, all sorts of people, like he has all sorts of flowers in his garden and more people are receptive to that sort of idea. So we should be uh, sending out the stories of the black saints and making icons of them. And so that's what I've been trying to do recently. I have, let's see, right over, there, these are the icons uh, that I've commissioned, except for the one in the middle, which is my patron saint, St. Caleb of Axum. And some of these, they don't, you, you, no one knows about their lives. No one knows about them. So I, I published articles. Hopefully people will see their lives and be inspired to, to repent thereby. So do you, do you want to tell us about that saying at all, maybe like a brief... St. Caleb of Axum. Yes, he um, was a 6th century king of Ethiopia. And during the time of his reign, there was a Jewish warlord in Yemen in the area of Arabia who was persecuting Christians. And he was a convert to Judaism. And St. Justinian had received a lot of 
cries and pleas from the Orthodox Christians who were living there saying we are under persecution and we need to be rescued. And you can actually see the full details of this in the life of uh, St. Arethas, the great martyr. And St. Justinian, knowing that he was far away in the Byzantine uh, Empire, he wasn't able to come down to Yemen to save them himself. So he asked St. Caleb of Axum or uh, King Elisban if he could intervene, if he could possibly rescue the Orthodox Christians over there. And St. Caleb was furious. He was enraged. And he went over and he invaded with his army and his army actually failed the first time. And the reason for this was because he was invading out of passion, out of anger, rather than, than out of righteous search to protect the actual the Christians there. So he received counsel from a holy elder and he made a vow that if he could go over and save the Orthodox Christians there, then he would resign and become a monk. So he went out again with God's blessing and conquered Yemen. He destroyed mm -hmm. the Jewish warlord and he brought forth a bishop from the Roman Empire. He built churches, he established the communities and brought the entire Orthodox Christian community in Yemen under, under the dominion of Axum. And then thereafter, he resigned. He took his crown off. He sent it to the Patriarch of Jerusalem. And he went to a monastery where he lived out the rest of his life not talking to anyone. And so he reposed in peace um, in about 552, I believe. And that was such an inspiring idea because for me, I always wanted... I always believe that we should protect each other. We should build up each other. And, you know, there's plenty of Christians being persecuted worldwide and no one's coming to defend them. And another side of that was that every, a lot of black converts are already named Moses. So I want it to be a little different. Right. So I chose Caleb. And, um, you know, I thankfully he already had an icon and thankfully he already had a troparion and a kontakion. Because a lot of black saints don't really have this yet. I imagine that there are a lot of uh, black saints from before the uh, Ethiopian Church be separated from the, you know, the, the Orthodox Church. Probably earlier saints, right? There probably are, but we don't really know of them um, because. A lot of the history of the current Ethiopian church is recorded after uh, St. Caleb of Axum. So some of their most influential saints, the, one, the ones who basically built their form of liturgics is um, a man named Yared. And some of the greatest saints in the ones that they call saints are the 13 Assyrians. I believe it's 13 Assyrian fathers who brought forth the non-Chalcedonian faith for them. And so there's not really a lot before St. Caleb, except for King Azana, who converted Ethiopia to Christianity. And I believe that he should be canonized. And that's just something we have to wait for the Patriarch of Alexandria to do, or we have to write petitions hoping that that happens as soon as possible. King Azana? Um, King Azana, so E-Z-A-N-A. -A. Oh, Azana, and when was he, or who was he? He was the king of Ethiopia in about, uh, actually at the time of the Aryan crisis, and um, he was raised with a teacher 
named Frumentius. And Frumentius was a slave from Syria. And he was enslaved by the royal family to raise Azana to be to be a king eventually. Mm. And then when Azana became a king, Frumentius, he gave Frumentius his freedom and Frumentius went back to Alexandria to the patriarch and said, these people are willing to receive the Christian faith. They just need a bishop. And so St. Athanasius ordained St. Frumentius right then and there. You're going to be the bishop and you're going to go back there and save Ethiopia. And so he went back, converted King Azana to the Orthodox Christian faith and began the process of enlightening Ethiopia. And actually he protected St. Frumentius from the Arian bishops at the time who were recalling him and trying to send an Arian bishop down there. So this is a, he's a great saint for defending orthodoxy against Arianism in Ethiopia for converting the nation. All other converters of nations get canonized. We kind of oh. missed this one. Not sure how that happened. Hmm. Um, and there are saints, there are some canonized saints before him, such as St. Fulvianus, who was a disciple of, he wasn't a disciple of the Apostle Matthew, but he actually persecuted the Apostle Matthew and killed the Apostle Matthew. Right, right. That was the one I was going to bring up next. And, and then he, he repented. Ethiopia killed the Apostle Matthew and thereafter had a crisis of faith because his pagan art idols were not doing the things he expected them to do. And it appeared as though the corpse of St. Matthew had more power than his pagan idols. So he, seeing that he ordered that the uh, corpse of St. Matthew be buried out in sea with a, a iron coffin, and it floated back up to the shore with God's help. And thereafter, St. Fulvianus repented, and he was baptized with the name of Matthew, and he was ordained a bishop um, by Bishop Plato who was with St. Matthew at the time. And between the Apostle Matthew and King Azana, I don't know if there's any recorded history. I don't think, I don't know if the Ethiopians record any history between then that I just can't read because it's in Amharic or if it's in Ge'ez. And so we don't know about the saints of that time. Interesting. Black Ortho Acolyte says, has Prime attended any of the get-togethers for the Society of St. Moses the Black? I have not. I really wanted to this past, the most recent one that occurred. But um, we, I had some problems with it because we were moving at the time. Um, so I wasn't able to do it. And hopefully I'll be able to do it next year. If time allows me to, I really want to meet Father Moses Berry. He wants to meet me as well. And so hopefully at the next year's one or the next so two tell, years. Tell us what can you just, for in case somebody doesn't know, can you tell us what that is? The, the Society of St. Moses the Black? So the Society of St. Moses the Black is quite an interesting organization. Their goal, I presume that their goal is. Uh, to bring orthodox, the Orthodox faith to all Black Americans. And they're, a lot of what they try to do is enculturation. They want to have sort of Black hymns, uh, traditionally Black gospel hymns you utilized as 
the basis for composing hymns in the Orthodox Church. Hmm. Sometimes it works out, you know, I haven't really seen a lot of what they do. I know that some of the biggest, the ones working on it the most are, you know, Nun Catherine Weston, Father Moses Berry. Um, I can't think of the names of the rest of them, but they do have a website. It's called stmosestheblack.org, and they put out their conferences every year. And so I, I don't really know too many of the details. All right. I kind of just try to do my own thing. All right. Um, Brody Alexander sends a $2 super chat. When did this, by the way, thank you. Uh, when did this king and enlightener of Ethiopia live? I think he refers yeah, to Zana. King Zana. Yes, he lived in uh, the early 300s around the time of St. Athanasius, St. Constantine, and the Arian crisis. Um, I forget when he died. I could probably look it up, but it's, um, you know, it's, I don't really have too much to say. He 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 lived at at the time of the Aryan crisis, and he converted. Uh, he was actually one of the first kings to convert any nation to orthodoxy, uh, even before Georgia. Yes, even before Georgia, he and at, I think Armenia was first, and then it was Ethiopia. And actually, even uh, Ethiopia had became orthodox before the Roman Empire became orthodox. So maybe the fourth century, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb, name all Norwegian Orthodox <laughs> saints. I can't name them all. Uh, I know one of them is Saint Olaf of Norway. Um, and if anything, I think we have a lot more Norwegian saints than than are canonized because we kind of lost the records of the. Norwegian holy people after the Great Schism because there wasn't any communication with the West anymore. But we probably do have a lot of Norwegian saints. Um, I know there's a lot in Sweden, no, Sweden and Denmark, uh, but I don't know about Norway specifically. Well, this is an interesting question. Thoughts on visiting Tawahido or other non-Calcedonian oriental churches have you ever done so and is there anything good to be gained from this so i visited an eritrean catholic church one time for their sort of vespers it was literally down the street from my house it was such a unique thing i had never expected to see something like that before and i couldn't understand a word of it and it wasn't just because it was in another language but their style of chant i feel like is not possible to, to really understand unless you've lived in it your whole life. If you look up Ethiopian liturgies in English, you can't understand those either. Um, I don't think there's a lot to be gained from this at all, actually. Um, you know, maybe if they have relics of our saints, but that's a little rare. Um, you can go venerate the relics, but I don't think we should be visiting the non-Calcedonian churches. And you can definitely see this being said in... Uh, the advice of a lot of our saints. I know specifically, if you look up St. John of Francisco, he made someone confess because they had visited a Coptic church. They didn't even go to the liturgy um, and they didn't even pray with the cops. They just visited the Coptic church during uh, like their Vespers or their their comp line. 
And even this, just walking into it was said he needed to confess it. Mm. And you can see in the ancient canons, decrees saying not to go into the houses of heretics, not to go into the synagogues of Jews. Anyone who goes into them is, is to be excommunicated or deposed. And while technically there's no canon on going into, you know, Roman Catholic or the non-Chalcedonian churches, I still think the idea is there that we shouldn't go into the houses of those who confess something false. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I mean, in terms of anything to be gained, I mean, spiritually, we have, we, we, we have no need as Orthodox, we have everything we need for salvation. So there's mm -hmm. nothing really that we need outside of the church. Um, maybe in Orthodoxy. Uh, if you want to gain anything spiritually, you can gain it clear within orthodoxy. Yeah, maybe you could go to. I'm, I'm sure they have really um, tasty food. Maybe you could go to a one of their festivals, or you know. I don't know if they have any. You know, there's a lot of Ethiopian places down here in Atlanta, um, but I've never visited any one of them. Um, I'm a bit of a picky eater, so that's. I think it's I like I love the spice like spices and different flavors and using uh, different you know herbs and spices which they do in the Ethiopian uh, country very well. Another comment from Black Ortho Acolyte: What's Prime's thoughts on the best way to convert Black America to Orthodoxy? I am I completely do not know. I know that one of the people who are spearheading this the most is Father Samuel Davis. And he is a pioneer of urban missions. He has a sort of YouTube channel series that he's doing, uh, talking about the Black American Orthodox experience. And I think really it's just establishing more missions in urban areas, you know, where Blacks live, um, you know, because every portion of America ought to be converted. And we really can't just hope to go into the major cities, sit down a church, and, you know, right next to the Walmart, and then just hope that maybe some people come visit it. No, we have to go out, reaching out to every set of people. Mm -hmm. And the more that Orthodox Christians interact with the Black religious environment the more we will come to find out the best way to convert blacks <laughs> make sure to shame caleb for not hanging out with me at the airport he was coming he was coming to atlanta he, he was going to a completely different city and he was going to have a three-hour layover in atlanta and it was too far away because it cost me like $50 to go into the middle of Atlanta with Uber. So oh, wow. I, I, I couldn't hang out with him. Shame on you. Broke broke my heart. Broke my heart. But I, I love what Brother Augustine does. He's uh, he's he's writing books. Um, he, he's got a few good books. Or I've heard that they're good because I haven't read them. Uh, one of them was On the Masons and Their Lies. And another one was Fascism Viewed from the Cross. And, you know, he's tackling those issues, which not a lot of people are tackling. No one, hardly anyone is talking about masonry and how that's a sin and how that's forbidden in our church these days. Mm -hmm. 
And so you'll have some people uh, who are Freemasons and they're not seeing what what's wrong with this. Mm -hmm. And he gives the expose on stuff like that. And then he also talks about, you know, something obviously controversial, which is fascism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's kind of a very, very small contingent of those who perceive fascism as, you know, they just tack it on with the rest of their ideologies, orthodoxies and ideology tacked on alongside mm -hmm. fascism or sort of neo-reactionary ideas. And he really actually analyzes it bit by bit to see right. how does this come to our faith. So yeah, I had I had him on my channel to discuss that book. So thank yeah. yeah um, it's a great idea. I love what a lot of internet content creators actually are doing. And this goes back to the whole can 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 we use the internet for holy purposes sort of idea. People like Craig Trulia, uh Father Peter here's brother Augustine. Uh you know I love what they do trying to save more people. Uh, Father Josiah Trinham definitely is one of the best uh, using the means that they have because it's, I mean, obviously we have influence in our community, but not everyone has a community. Some people are never going to know anything about orthodoxy without sort of these online creators. And hopefully if we have righteous online creators, they can save a few people. That's our whole goal. I think the the internet is being very effective as an evangelization tool at the moment. Mm -hmm. There's a lot um, to be learned through the internet. T-Dog says, check out my rap, fan. fam. I, yeah. okay, I will. Um, not really not into rap. Yeah, you're not into rap? Is that what you said? No, I mean, not really. It's no, oh, you're, you're not my. It's not. I wouldn't say it's not my style because, the, and, you know, nonsense things which are opposed to our faith is hard to yeah. reconcile. Frequent participation in that. Sure, sure. So, I um, you were just cut, kind of, for for your answer there. You were kind of cutting out a lot, but I want to just plug my new music video. I'm a rapper and I just put out a uh, song. It's called Iron Humbles. Nobody's watching it. All my, nobody's watching. It's, it's only got like 200 views. So I want everybody to go watch Iron Humbles as soon as you're done watching the stream. I want to get that up to a thousand by the end of the week, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully your music career takes off. Yeah, well, I don't know. Obviously there's not too much interest. Um, Brody Alexander says, y'all seen Cloud of Witnesses podcast yet? It is fire. I haven't seen the uh, Cloud of Witnesses podcast. I've seen the Lord of Spirits podcast. Um, but I don't know too much about the, the Cloud of Witnesses. Uh, in fact, I'm going to look it up right now. Well, he says it's further another. Uh, that was, by the way, he gave me another $2 super chat. Thank you, Brody. Um, he says it's old fashioned radio show doing lives with saints. Oh, yes. I've, I've heard them. I've heard something they've done. They do. Um, they have like these voice actors and they read the lives of saints kind of in a dynamic way. It's entertaining. So I did. I did subscribe to them on my podcast catcher app. Mm. I have not seen that um, Lives of Saints. Um, obviously, not everyone's going to be 
reading all the time. Lots of people work. They want to listen to something while they drive. Um, And I like what Trisagion Films is doing with their lives of the saints because they actually or kind of animate them with having a lot of iconographic depictions displaying the lives of these saints. And the icons are just amazing, you know. I tried to get I tried to get the person who makes those to commission one for me, but she was a bit too busy full time with the Trisagion films. Oh um, yeah, there's just so much coming out right now. It's almost kind of hard to catch up. Like every, it seems like every week I find a new uh, content creator posting somewhere online. So it's like just too much for me even to keep up. Really. Yeah, it's a it's a large space. It's a large community, and every there's sub communities within the community. Uh, some people, you know, I mean, people are people. So there's going to be some sins there. People are going to uh, have their cliques, have their people who they don't really get along with. And some, what you really just need to find are the people where you can feel like you repent and you grow in the faith with and form communities that way. For a lot of people, it happens online. And for a lot of people, it's all, you know, offline. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we should wind down or keep, I mean, we can keep going. I mean, I don't know what, what time, like, do you have to jet or anything or what time do you, do you have time? Uh, yeah. Well, I actually, uh, if I don't get some sleep before I go to work, I will be messed up the entire time I'm working. Oh, so, okay. um, um, so this is about a good time okay. to wind on down. Do you want to, um, how about you maybe give us like, you tell me, so you can, people can go subscribe to Caleb on uh, Twitter, obviously, but you have a, an, a, a medium, maybe just pitch what you want to pitch. You oh, know, yes. I, uh, I do have a Twitter. It's Caleb underscore Atlanta. And I have a medium. The medium is Caleb Atlantropos. Um, Actually, let me let me make sure I get that right. I um, I can put it in a I can put it in the description um, after after if you make uh, sure to. Thank you so much. I um here we go. I'll uh, I'll message it to you. All right. And with the medium, it's just trying to. That's where I post some of the translations. Caleb Atlanta Prime is not Caleb Atlantropos. That was a mess up my, on my part. Uh, that's where I put the translations of the patristics work, uh, especially of Blessed Dositheus of Jerusalem, who I have been cultivating the devotion to recently. Um, and a, a, a few polemical things, a little bit into our theology, some lives of the saints, who aren't really publicized very much. And just some things that people think that they would never see, such as the last communication between St. Mark of Ephesus and St. Gennadius Scolaris. Um, some the lives of some of the Spanish martyrs, uh, who they're all they're all martyrs of our church, but because it was in the 800s and the Great Schism kind of cut them off. We didn't even receive them. Um, a little bit on vernacular in our church <clears throat> and modern controversies. So 
I think everyone could benefit from the, some of the things that I run on my medium. I also have a YouTube channel. It's called Patriarch Prime. Oh. I don't post too much. It's not great. Um, it's really just things I find interesting at the time that I post them. Okay. I'll, I'll try to add all that stuff to the description. I was unaware of those. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you for joining us. It's been great. And I want to apologize. Uh, forgive me for messing up. I should have this down by now, but I thought we were going to go three hours from now, not now because of the time change. I got confused in my mind. I'm just a confused person, I guess. So it happens, you know, everyone, we all make mistakes, but right. thank you for having me. I'm glad I could uh, do this with you. Sure. And, uh, hopefully uh, you have a great rap career <laughs> and oh, a you. great, uh, you know, YouTube career. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Have a great day. Is that it? All right. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.